Hello. I have an invitation to tea with the Queen. Yes, Emma's been expecting you. Please come in. I think that we just massively underestimate, especially as women, our own capability and awesomeness. And it, it's changed. It's changed my life completely. Yeah. Sometimes I think you go through this journey as a business owner and think you're a bit crazy. You're like, who am I to have this dream? Well, I just think women are hard on themselves. I wish I had been more confident in what I was capable of. But I feel like you do what feels right for you, then that's going to be always on brand. Women, our natural inclination is to be pleasers and to put other people before self. I've never had a tea with the Queen before and this is such a pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Emma McQueen and welcome to Tea with the Queen. Do you or your children or someone you know have ADHD? It stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, a condition which often starts in childhood and can continue into adulthood. Parents of a child with ADHD are often frustrated by a lot of stumbling blocks that happen throughout the day, like getting dressed or getting ready for school, tasks which seem to take forever to complete. My guest today is Jodie Green, who is an ADHD coach and founder of ADHD ID. Jodie helps families develop strategies and routines to manage their everyday things. And for those who are diagnosed later in life, she provides tips as well as weekly group coaching sessions. You'll learn a ton from Jodie about ADHD in this episode, just as I did. Hello Jodie, welcome to Tea with the Queen. Hey Emma, how are you? I'm good. It's so good to have you on here. I can't wait to dive straight in. Oh, I can tell you I'm so excited and I'm also really nervous. Oh, don't be <laughs> nervous. Don't be nervous. It's all good. We're, we're very gentle here on Tea with the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Let's dive straight in. What is ADHD? Good question. I like to call it a difference rather than a disorder. So it's a difference in the development of the brain. Mostly affects the front of the brain and that's where all the things that we call executive function skills live. So I like to use uh, the analogy of an orchestra when I'm explaining it to people. And all the instruments of the orchestra are the things that we do to manage our day without even realizing we're doing them. So things like estimating how long something will take and what time we need to leave the house so we know when to start getting ready or um, deciding on the right sequence for things tuning in when someone's giving us important information and tuning out when they're not like all that sort of stuff even like remembering to grab our keys before we pull the door shut behind us so all those little things that we do without even thinking about it that is all the instruments of the orchestra telling us to do those things but with ADHD it's like the orchestra has no conductor so the conductor is the person at the front who's getting all the instruments to play when they're supposed to how loud they're supposed to and keeping everything in harmony but the structure and chemistry of an ADHD brain means the conductor's a bit unreliable. Some days they're off getting a cup of tea and not really paying attention to the orchestra. <laughs> so, yeah, that. that's that's why it's like mm, layman's explanation of ADHD. Oh, that's perfect. That's so perfect. The last letter for ADHD stands for disorder. Why is it called disorder? Because as you say, it's not a disorder, is it? Mm -hmm. It's called a disorder because... It is a collection of symptoms that occurs often enough in enough people and causes enough trouble that it gets the label of disorder. 
Uh, do you think they're any closer to changing that? <laughs> Look, there's a lot of people in the field who are campaigning for a name change. It really is one of the most poorly named conditions around. <laughs> like it's not a deficit of attention at all. It's a it's an inability to manage attention. So that t- attention is there just the same as anyone else, but it's how it's hard to manage attention that causes so many problems. Yeah, right. So how does ADHD affect kids and their families? Hmm. ADHD causes all sorts of frustration and stress in families, lots of conflict. And mostly, this is why I love working with parents, right? Because a lot of this frustration and conflict is through misunderstanding. So parents know not to expect a toddler to like get themselves ready for kinder on time, but then they assume that a school-aged kid will be able to do that. Whereas with a a kid with ADHD, their executive function skills are delayed by about three to five years. So they might still be getting ready for school like a toddler, which means you need to give them a lot of support. So the frustration comes in when parents are saying, why can't my child do these things that his brother used to do or that you know, all the other friends are doing? Yeah, that's. I think that's where most of the trouble comes in, the misunderstanding. But when does ADHD, when is it typically diagnosed? Because if I think that through and think about kids school at primary school age, at what point do you diagnose ADHD and therefore need to have a level of compassion that you wouldn't necessarily have with someone without ADHD? Because that would be early on when they start going to school and they struggle a wee bit to get ready. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so people get diagnosed. We call it a tipping point, so where their capacity suddenly doesn't match the demands anymore. So for some kids, it's like starting primary school. For other kids, it doesn't really show up until maybe grade four or five when the organisational expectations are ramping up a little bit. And there's other other kids where it's high school, where it kicks in and still further like uni students, all of a sudden all the school structures are gone and they can't manage to get themselves to lectures or they might not want to, but that's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Motivation versus <Yeah>. anything else. <laughs> well, that's one of the problems, right? Because people put a moral judgment on the behaviours that they see in ADHD. So they assume that kids don't want to or aren't trying hard enough. Yes. Whereas actually that's not the case. That's right. Do you think more people have ADHD these days or are more people getting diagnosed with it? Yeah, good question. So the research that I've read, the researchers don't think there is more of it around, but there's definitely a surge in diagnosis. So um, some of the conservative stats say that in kids, the prevalence is somewhere between three to six percent. So that's if you think about that in a classroom, that's like one to two kids per classroom. It's a bit less in adults, but I think what's happening is that as we understand and accept the condition more, people who were missed uh, and may have been diagnosed earlier are now coming and getting diagnosed. So, you know, so often I talk to parents whose child was diagnosed and then they've gone and got themselves a diagnosis because they can recognise all those things in themselves. Yes, yeah. Can you tell us your own personal ADHD story? Yes, for sure. So my daughter um, was the, uh, what shall I say, the one who brought ADHD into our world, (laughs) brought it to my attention. And I should say that she has given me permission to talk about 
her experience. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm speaking out of school about her. She was diagnosed when she was about eight. So she's 15 now. And we sought out some investigations because we could see that her progress at school was not as we expected. We couldn't really put our finger on why. And then a really kind grade two teacher was probably as honest as she could be within the rules of what teachers are allowed to say and um, pointed me in the direction of investigating her ability to pay attention in class. The other thing that happened is we also started to notice that her younger sister could do the day-to-day things a bit more easily. So the five-year-old could go to her room and bring back the three things that I asked her for, but the eight-year-old was struggling. So those two things kind of added together and led us to seek a diagnosis. She was diagnosed and then I was lost. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have any resources or any um, help. Yeah, so that, that was kind of the start of the ADHD journey. So she's now 15. I've had another um, son diagnosed with ADHD. And because of the genetics, I do question myself. I think I feel like I am probably, uh, it's called subsyndromal, where you have a lot of the qualities and I identify with a lot of the symptoms, but probably not enough to qualify for a full diagnosis. So that's what I always say, you know, when people ask me, why are you working in this field? Like I identify with a lot of things, but um probably not quite enough to tick all the boxes. And it's not easy to, to get a diagnosis or is it? Oh, that depends where you go. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, look at the diagnostic criteria change every now and then as well. So it used to be that you had to demonstrate impairment in a couple of different areas of your life, whereas now the wording has changed so that it's impact rather than impairment. So the, the kind of conditions change every now and then. And um, yeah, it also depends on the person that is diagnosing you how well informed they are about what the symptoms can actually look like and whether they're just um, following the strict criteria or if they're prepared to search more broadly for the impacts. Because I assume at eight years old, I mean, you could attribute a whole stack of stuff to they're just learning, especially recently with kids being at home through the pandemic. Their learning is lacking or whatever, but obviously you had a bit of a gut feel. And you've said that as a parent, you didn't quite know where to go. Was that the catalyst for you to becoming an ADHD coach? And how did you become qualified in that? Yes, that was definitely the catalyst. So when I had... I felt like I had no support. I wasn't learning anything about ADHD from the professionals that we were working with. I had a bit of an epiphany moment. So a friend of mine, kids with similar challenges, and she, she introduced me to a parenting support program, which was run by a couple of coaches in America. And at that time, I was sort of, I was volunteering, helping moms and working with women coming out of domestic violence and all sorts of things. But I was looking for the crystallization of all of my skills into a something that I could make into a career and that light bulb just went off in my head when I realized ADHD coaching was a thing it was like the perfect mix of all of my skills and interests I learned so much more about ADHD from my ADHD coach training than I did from any of the pediatricians or other people that we're working with oh interesting yeah 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 so I feel like that has given me heaps of skills with my own family that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And that's what I love to do. I love to share that with parents of kids with ADHD, but also more and more just with adults with ADHD. Yeah, you're like the font of knowledge to go. You're the go-to. You're the go-to in ADHD, in Australia anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And today, what do you do and who do you help? 
Yeah, so my practice started because I wanted to help parents of kids with ADHD. These days, it's really mostly adults with ADHD and still a small proportion of parents um, wanting support. A lot of the time what we talk about is like throwing out the neurotypical rule book for how to do things and finding ways that work for each person individually. So I really love that. And I love the camaraderie too. Like I've had some really beautiful groups of women go through like a basics program and then, you know, just hearing them share their, their tips and tricks with each other and really understand each other. So great. I love it. I love creating the space for that to happen. And do you do that one-on-one or in a group? I do both. My real passion right now is the group stuff because I can just see people connecting and I don't know, there's something nice about being with like-minded people who understand um, what you're going through and then also I mean, it's such a supportive space too. So yeah, groups are the groups of the future. Yeah, yeah. I love that too because I assume sometimes getting diagnosed with something like that can be a bit lonely and they're learning but they're also being less lonely because they're in a group setting as well. It normalises it a bit more, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And so often people that I talk to, especially who've been diagnosed as adults, have spent their life feeling a little bit different and a bit misunderstood. And so it's just so lovely to, to see people go, oh, me too. Oh, yeah, I do that as well. Like, yeah, so that is really nice. It's, yeah, I think it's it's healing a bit of hurt, actually, when you can connect with other people and you've felt misunderstood. Yeah. Yes, like you've almost something about you is not fitting in, but then you come in with this group and you're like, oh, not just me all these other people that were lonely yeah we were all late and we're all (laughs) (laughs) i love that we're all right you were all wrong yes (laughs) what can parents of kids with adhd do to manage it good question for me i think a huge part of managing adhd is shifting your expectations so like we were talking about earlier with taking off three to five years from what you're expecting of them in terms of their executive function capacity like nobody asks someone in a wheelchair to climb a set of stairs, right? So it's kind of like understand what your kid is really struggling to do. Don't judge it. Don't call it laziness. Actually just say, oh, look, I get it that it's really hard to start, you know, your spelling words or whatever is going on and understand. I think that's that's my number one strategy. Now, another one is tell them. So tell them they have ADHD and really uh, help them own it. So my 15-year-old daughter, she's in year 10 now, because we've been so open and really helping her advocate for herself, she's started the year by emailing all of her new teachers and saying, this is what I have, this is what helps me learn, this is what I'd really like from you to support me this year. So I just, I'm so proud of her for That's amazing. being able to do that. And it started with us telling her and helping her understand. That's the second one. The third one is don't be scared of medication. Like in terms of the the recommendations for for the best treatment for ADHD, medication is the first step. And the reason it's first is because when we help our kids' brains switch on, then they can take in the behavioural strategies we're trying to teach them. If we're trying to teach them behaviour stuff without supporting their brain, it's just not as effective. So I was scared of medication for a long time, but as I've gotten familiar with the research, it's really just a great tool and it's the number one tool. It's almost like just putting petrol in the car, taking the medication, isn't it? Yep, yep. It fires up the brain. It gives the dopamine system a chance to work just like a neurotypical dopamine system and then they can do the things that they're trying to do. 
Yeah, perfect. Do you have the same stance even if they're young kids with medication? Because I'm I'm assuming that that could be a bit controversial for parents as well. Yeah, I think the thing that I've come to learn is that, well, there's two aspects. So starting medication early is preventative. So there's a lot of studies that say self-medicating behaviours, risk-taking behaviours, things like that that develop in later teens um, and adulthood can be prevented with good medication early on because the brain has a chance to develop and it also gives kids the chance to learn the self-management skills that they need to avoid some of that future self-medicating behaviour. That's a huge one. The other thing I think, though, is for kids who are struggling with self-regulation and like causing problems in the playground because they can't regulate their behaviour, I kind of just think it's not fair to give them the medication that will help their brain help them regulate themselves like, and, you know, just to fit in with the other kids more effectively. They need that baseline in their brain. So, yeah, that's my stance on medication. I like it. Thank you. I understand that you have a theory about kids with ADHD and pen sensitivity. Is that right? <laughs> Yes, it's kind of a bit tongue-in-cheek, my pen theory, but I'll tell you about it. So I noticed my daughter, (laughs) when she was trying to write her spelling words back in primary school, it was easier for her if I said, go grab your Smiggle gel pen set and get all the colours out and then we'll do your spelling words. It was still slow, um, but it did help her brain to switch on. It's kind of like it. the conductor was out on a tea break, but he was like, or she was uh, like, oh, coloured pens, that's interesting. And so it kind of, it brings the conductor back in front of the orchestra to have something a bit novel or pleasing. Cool, I like And it. kids with ADHD, yeah, they have strong sensory preferences too often. So getting a pen that feels just right can help with their handwriting, help with them accessing those things that they're finding difficult. So basically everyone who's got children with ADHD Go get some decent stationery. <laughs> Head to Officeworks right now. <laughs> and let them choose, right? Like get them to test. You know, Officeworks have got all the, the way you can test all the pens. Just go have some fun and choose some pens. Yeah, totally. Whatever makes it easier. Mm. Whatever makes it easier. It's about making it easy, but it's also about taking the friction away. You know, like get rid of the friction, get your good pens out, and then, you know, they'll feel happier doing it. Yep, absolutely. Sometimes writing your spelling words in a cubby house is more fun than writing them at the kitchen bench. So why not go hop in the cubby house and write spelling words? Right. right. Tell me if people are listening and they're going, I may have ADHD, I may not, and they're an adult listening, how does it present in adults? Yeah, good question. So the stereotypical hyperactivity that you think of in kids or especially little boys, in adults it can turn into more of a, like a restlessness and internal hyperactivity fidgetiness and restlessness so that would be one thing often if you haven't been diagnosed yet and you are an adult then you will be more of an inattentive presentation so a bit more daydreamy harder to focus harder to keep your concentration on tasks so if you're noticing that you're easily distracted that would be one clue I mean we're all distracted today right by the phones and the things that (laughs) but if it's if it's hard for you to come back to what you were doing, like if your phone pings and then you lose your train of thought completely, I would say that's a clue. Yeah, just feeling like you're not keeping up with the expectations of life. Like, you know, there could be a whole host of reasons, but that would be a clue to go and ask for an assessment. 
Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like more diagnoses has happened since we've been in the pandemic? Uh, I mean, parents and kids were home more often with each other. And I know that from talking to other mums and other dads, uh, it really gave them a really good insight into how their kid is learning or not. Yes. (laughs) So has more stuff come out because of that, do you think? Yes, definitely. So seeing your child struggle to sit and pay attention to a Zoom call with a teacher or not be able to get a piece of work finished when it's just them and the paper is a really telling sign. So, you know, we forget how important the classroom is, that sort of group, everyone's paying attention, so I'm going to pay attention as well. That really helps actually. So to be at home and not have that kind of shared focus was hard for kids. And I think COVID definitely tore away a lot of structures that people were relying on. Um, even adults with ADHD, like the, the idea that you have to be at work at a certain time and that you've got people that you're working with and that you've got people waiting for things, like all of those things are really great structures. And when they're all taken away, when we had to work from home, oh, it just made it so hard. And lots of people started thinking, hang on a sec, why can't I get this done under my own steam? Interesting. So on the flip side, I mean, corporate Australia was very slow in introducing any kind of flexibility. COVID totally forced corporate Australia's hand, right? And a lot of people have been loving the flexibility, but there has to be a proportion of people who are hating having to be at home, who just want to go back to the office for the structure. Yep. Yeah, it's really interesting. You can't stereotype, as in all areas, but some people with ADHD love that structure and they need it to get themselves to work and to do what they need to do. For other people, the pressure of getting to work was relieved so they could actually not have to worry about a whole morning routine of makeup and clothes and, you know, the rest of it. They could pull on some tracksuit pants and be at work. So it actually it's it's gone both ways. And like you said, some people love it, some people don't. And I think that's population-wide, not just I was going to say, that, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. population norms, right? <laughs> yeah, so I love working from home and, and Same. you know, being in my chuckies and <laughs> uh, dressed from the top up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. So anyone who's listening and they think their kids, from what they've heard, may have ADHD or a partner or a loved one or themselves, what would you suggest are a couple of steps for them to take? Yes, there is a good tool online. It's called the Adult Self-Report Scale for ADHD. So if you Google ASRS for ADHD, it's a good place to start. It's not nuanced. It's kind of blunt, but it can give you a good idea of some of the questions that a practitioner would ask you. Um, You can do that. And then I would say if you have access to a psychologist or psychiatrist, just directly ask them, I think I might have ADHD. Can you go through an assessment process with me? Now, if they're dismissive or if you don't have someone in the first place, GP is the first port of call. So go to GP, get a referral. And it's really important to find specialists who understand ADHD because a lot, especially women, especially women get diagnosed with anxiety or depression or bipolar before someone finally realises that ADHD is underneath all of those things. So so having a specialist who specialises in ADHD is Yeah, it's an important factor. Don't wait, though, because waiting lists are ridiculous at the moment. So if you're wondering, go to the GP, get the referral, get on a waiting list. 
and then you'll have lots of time to think about it (laughs) before the appointment. And you know what? You don't have to be diagnosed to work with a coach. So if you're curious and if you're on a waiting list and you think you just want to get some good understanding in the meantime, coaches are perfect for that. Yeah, support. Absolutely. We can help you with the language. We can talk to you about like what you think the symptoms are and how you're experiencing them. And then you're better armed to go to that specialist appointment. Yeah. So there you go. There's a little <laughs> coaching plan. That's good though, because they're at the wedding lists are high. So you don't want to muck around with it too much. But I also know that if you're feeling like you need a diagnosis and you can't get one for a few months, that you can sometimes people just feel like they have to sit on their hands. But what you're saying is, nah, come and have a conversation and just see how we go. Yeah, and really like with a GP, you can flag how impacted you think you are and they do have ways of triaging inquiries. So if you're struggling, like really just go and say that to your GP and they can maybe speed up the process a little bit. Sure. Thank you, Jody. What a awesome education on ADHD and the amazing work that you do coaching people with ADHD. It must be so fascinating and rewarding for you. I mean, you're living and breathing it 24-7, so you're an angel. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love just understanding something in depth that people don't yet understand for themselves and being part of their journey of figuring it out. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't be anywhere else. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on Tea with the Queen and sharing with our audience. Oh, thank you. It's been so lovely. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for listening to Tea with the Queen. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help to get the word out. For more about me, please visit emmamcqueen.com.au and I look forward to your company next episode. Goodbye. Thank you for coming.